This is the Life of Jesus podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Alcesser. For a full year, we're looking at the life teachings and works of Jesus from the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, put together in one chronological flow. Ben, last week we took a look at several of the healings of Jesus, as well as some of the reactions to that and some of the statements and questions he made along the way including the statements he made in the reaction of his hometown neighbors. Today, I want to look at how Jesus prepared his 12 disciples to take the gospel to the world. We're, we're getting kind of the midway point of the gospels, and it's actually getting closer to his crucifixion because so much of the gospels are mm-hmm. dedicated to the story of his arrest, crucifixion, resurrection, and so forth. And he's preparing them. He's preparing the 12 to to continue the ministry after he is gone, after he has ascended back into heaven. And so we're going to pick it up at the end of Matthew 9 and then spend the balance of our time in Matthew chapter 10 today. By the way, this is Holy Week. And so depending on your tradition, you might have things this week, such as a Maundy Thursday service, Good Friday service, and at the end of the week, Easter Sunday. I, I don't know about you, Ben, but I think my favorite of all of those is Good Friday. I've, I've just always been maybe a sucker for the dramatic and the darkness and really the reflection, the deep reflection on what Christ did for us on the cross and how... He gave his his life for us, and has. I, I love Easter. Easter is exciting. It's bright. It's festive. It's the largest crowd of the year. It's it's all of those things. But for me, it's Good Friday. I, of those three, which one grabs you the most? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Honestly, Good Friday is the one that always uh, captures my heart um, as we reflect upon uh, as we reflect upon the death of Christ. And so, uh, so yeah, Good Friday for yeah, sure. Yeah, I can't imagine actually attending an Easter service without attending a Good Friday service. Just me personally, right. because yep. the resurrection only makes sense in light of the crucifixion. Yep. And to really dwell on that. Yep. All right. Well, we'll take a look. This this life of Jesus study that we're doing was laid out chronologically through the year. So it doesn't line up that we are dealing with the crucifixion this week because we're just walking through it chapter by chapter, bit by bit, chronologically through his life. What we're looking at right now is his preparation, Jesus' preparation for his death on the cross, his resurrection from the empty tomb, his ascension back into heaven, and his, his great commission that he gave to his disciples to, to go into all the world and make disciples. But he didn't just make the statement out of the blue. He, he gave them training. He prepared them for that by first teaching them what to do. We find that in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. A lot of activity in that single verse proclaiming good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. You know, we don't have most of those stories. We have just a snippet of the activity and the words of Jesus. He did a lot. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And rather simply just looking at them and saying, pity, 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 he knew that these helpless sheep, these harassed sheep, these people who didn't know God from a hole in the ground, he knew that they would need shepherds to guide them. So in verse 37, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. He changes the metaphor from sheep to harvest. Jesus does that a lot. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He didn't simply say to them, you go be the people who work the field. You go be the shepherds, though he prepares them for that. He said, I want you also to begin to lean into to God and ask for the Lord of the harvest to raise up even more workers in the field, even more shepherds. You know, these words of Jesus stuck with them well enough that it got written down. Uh, What kind of a, was this like a win-win for the Gipper kind of speech? I mean, what, what what was Jesus doing here with the disciples preparing their minds, at least, for this ministry ahead of them? Yeah, I think two things. I think, one, the disciples oftentimes were hyper-focused on themselves, uh, what was in it, uh, their their relationship with Christ, what was in it for themselves, what was it going, was it going to lead them to a place of prominence in Jesus's kingdom? These are the things they were concerned about to where they often look past people. And so we, we see Jesus's compassion uh, to uh, those uh, present there and really calling upon the disciples uh, to, to be compassionate, um, to bring the kingdom. He's preparing them really, in essence, to bring the kingdom, uh, to bring the message of Christ to all uh, people. And then, yes, the, the, the second thing is that the, really his call upon them to teach and to train up others who are going to bring the, the message forward. And so we see, you know, in Acts chapter two, we see the early, the early church and what is, uh, you know, right off the bat, we, we see how the church is committed to the teaching of the apostles. We see the apostles even, uh, uh, calling people to, to, uh, to care for the widows and orphans, um, as a means that they can f- hyper-focus on teaching, on nurturing hearts, nurturing lives, uh, to go and to serve, um, as uh, to to go into the world and call people into relationship with Christ, and so he's uh, preparing them for their future ministry, um, and he's and right here we get a taste of that. Yeah, because we see if you look at the book of Acts and the the epistles, the letters, mm-hmm. we see many people way beyond the twelve disciples. That's I mean, right. You know, Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and Epaphras and on and on and on. These these multitude of people that were raised up and sent out and commissioned to take the gospel way beyond the borders of Israel into Southern Europe, Northern Africa, other parts of Asia, India, and so forth. And then it spread, of course, throughout the whole world. Even to the point where so many of the apostles, I mean, past the gospels, they almost, they almost in some ways, not that they weren't going out, you know, we know Thomas went to India, um, not so not that they weren't going out but really they the, the apostles themselves almost fade into the background most of them not not peter obviously but most of the original 12 they fade into the background as these other folks are being raised up 
to where then all of a sudden you've got Timothy and Silas and so many others who start to play this prominent role uh, in the spread of the gospel. That's a really good word for you and me, right? As as leaders in our church, that it's not the Ben and Mark show. That's right. It's always got to be about raising other people. You know, you and I were recently at Exponential, which is a gathering of 5,000 people that was in Orlando. It's all about the multiplication of the church and, and sending it out. And one workshop that, that you and I were both part of, it was not the 5,000 big crowd, but it was 20 people in this small gathering uh, of folks. And they, I remember one of the things that struck me in that workshop was they talked about how people really learn, how they really get motivated, mm-hmm. what's really changed them. And they said, according to, according to research, I don't know who the research was. I don't know if it was each other that they researched it with. But it was really striking to me, according to research, that 70% of the people who really felt compelled to go and do and be and make changes in their life, 70% of them, it was out of experience. Yeah. And something like 24, 25%, I think they said, was out of sort of a relationship, a mentoring relationship. And only 5% was out of the teaching model. Yep. We would call the preaching model. So I think that means your sermons and my sermons together have a 5% impact. So I'll give you the 4%. I'll take one. <laughs> like we have just How a very small impact with a, a sermon but it's experience because we see this in the very next verse. If you flip to Matthew chapter 10, of course the chapter numbers were put in later. So it's one continual story. So the very next verse, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now we had seen at the beginning of today's talk that Jesus was going around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease. So they had watched him Mm -hmm. and then he taught them, Mm -hmm. you get prepared to do this. And now he commissioned them. He said, you're going to go out and you will do it. This had to put the fear of God in them, didn't it? (laughs) Absolutely. You know, like it was way beyond listening to him teach or watching him do. It was now tag your it. Do you remember the first time that you were, you were asked to go do something kingdom-oriented, leader-oriented, where you had come to Christ, because you came to Christ as a young adult, when you were called to Christ and somebody said, Ben, I'd like you to do this. What, what were you first asked to do? Yeah, one of the, the first things, and I, and I share this story a, a lot, but one of the one of the first most uncomfortable moments I had in my walk with Christ was when uh, soon after uh, coming to faith in Christ, uh, I served uh, with Campus Crusade for Christ one summer on the south side of Chicago. And one of the, the leaders who was there, uh, a part of why we were there was to go share the gospel with others, uh, while also uh, engaged in several different uh, local ministries uh, on the south side of Chicago. But one of the things they want us to do is go share the gospel. And a lot of it is what you would call like cold turkey evangelism, like go up, introduce yourself, strike, you know, to some stranger, strike up a conversation and then tell them about Jesus, which I thought this is crazy. And you're crazy if you think I'm going to do this. And so one of the leaders one day pulled me aside and he said, Ben, we're going to go out and we're going to share 
the gospel, uh, and I'm going to go with you. So, but we're going to go out and do this. And so we read through Second Corinthians five, where uh, in in Second Corinthians five, the Apostle Paul talks about serving as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. This is a universal call upon every Christ follower to serve as his ambassadors in this world. So we study the passage, and then this guy Jeff and I, we go out. Well, the first person we come across looks at us like, you know, cross-eyed and thought we had lost our blooming minds and, and quickly shunned us. And, I, and, I'm, and immediately that validated every bad thought that I had relative to what we were doing. And Jeff's like, we're just going to, we're going to pray again, and we're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to, to move in us, to guide us, to lead us. And so then we're, you know, we continue to walk. We get to Lake Michigan. We're walking along the shore of Lake Michigan. We see a gentleman sitting on the uh, rocks there, uh, the rocks on the shoreline. And Jeff's like, the Holy Spirit's telling us to, to go and talk to that guy. I'm like, the Holy Spirit's telling you maybe, but I've got, I've had no communique uh, relative to this. <laughs> but we go and we sit down, we start talking to this guy. The guy is in a cult. He's a member of a cult. And uh, as we talk to him, He's real open. He's real vulnerable. Uh, we start sharing with him. The guy receives Jesus as Savior. Uh, Jeff gets all his information from him and, and uh, you know, tells him that he's going to meet him at a church on Sunday, and, and so uh, they, in, which they ended up doing. They made a connection at this church. Jeff got the, the guy uh, into this church. But the crazy part was, as, uh, as we were walking away uh, from him, on the banks of uh, Lake Michigan, after he's received Christ, he he turns to me and the guy tells me he says, "I've got I've got something I need to I need to tell you," and I'm like, "What's up?" He's like, "I feel like God's telling me to to tell you that you've been His ambassador today," <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe what I just read like an hour and a half ago about being an ambassador for Jesus." And so that that's one of many uncomfortable uh, things that I feel like I've been called to do, and in the experience of it, I've seen uh, Christ, uh, I've seen the the Spirit use that as a teaching mechanism, um, really to set me free to live more fully into my calling. And you know, to your point earlier, it's not to undermine the preaching and teaching of the Word. That's a necessity. It undergirds Absolutely. what we do. It guides what we do. But reality is, is is for so many uh, that. That study just becomes informational download. It's not transformational. And we see what we're called to do, but then we never live into it. And so reality is there are many uh, in the church who are uh, educated beyond their calling to where they know, we know what we're called to do. We've got the, the informational base to go and to live into that. We've got the relationship with Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit to live into that, but then we never do anything. I've heard it. somebody put it like this, that most of us are educated well beyond our level of obedience. Yeah, that's good. We know what it is. We just don't do it. So these disciples had to think, you got to be crazy, Jesus. It was, it's been great watching you heal people, but now you're calling us. You've given us authority authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. We're in Matthew 10 and then down in Luke, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 10, verse five, the 12, these 12, Jesus sent out with these instructions, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. We'd seen earlier, we talked about the lost sheep, the sheep that were 
were what was how did he put that harassed and helpless mm-hmm. the people the, the Jews who just didn't understand what was going on and he wanted them to go there proclaiming this message the kingdom of heaven has come near okay fair enough their first mission was to their Jewish brothers and sisters so to speak and but here comes the kicker in verse 8 here are the instructions Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, you've been around this, you've received it, now freely give. So, as in your story, these these guys had to be, in some ways, shaking in their boots, uh, doubtful, curious, eager. We don't know exactly how they responded to that, but it was now on them to go and be obedient, to take what they had learned and to apply it and take a risk, take a risk that they would be received, they would be rejected, that it would work, that it wouldn't. And and all of these things are, are spinning around, I'm sure, inside of their minds, as they do with all of us when we're we're pushed out of our comfort zone and called to go and, and do and be. You know, I, when I say read through the Gospels, and we're, we're reading through the, all of it this year, I don't see anywhere where Jesus said that your job as a, as a believer, as a follower, is to sit in pew number six and listen to the message. It just, it just doesn't appear. He's continually calling us out of this comfort zone and to go and be and, and do for him in a way that's mightily uncomfortable. Yeah, even to the point where Jesus warns them as they're getting ready to head out, he says, uh, you know, he says that you're going to be arrested. Um, later on in, in verse 22 of 10, he says, all men will hate you because of me, uh, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And so he, he tells them, you know, persecution is going to abound here on uh, your mission. Um, and and yet th- this is what Jesus co- constantly does uh, with the with the apostles uh, throughout his three years with them. Sometimes people have this picture. I think that Jesus like hung out with them for three years, and that's all they did was they hung around the campfire, they went places with Jesus, they watched him heal uh, people. It was kind of like the Jesus show, and then they hung around the campfire at the end of the night and they debriefed, and Jesus taught them. But that's not what happened during the course of those three years together. Jesus taught them. He sent them. They returned to him. Uh, they debriefed over what had happened. Uh, he taught them some more. He sent them. Um, and so we have this, this constant interaction uh, between the apostles and, and Christ that isn't limited to, again, them just present with Jesus for three years and then uh, post-ascension, uh, post Pentecost, then at that point, the apostles went out and, and did something. Yeah, the, then then they took off because they had had not only the teaching, and the modeling, it had the experience and the and all those things you just described, which is a true discipling. Right. I wonder if in the American church we've just gotten away from that kind of discipling. No, I don't wonder. I know we've gotten away from that kind of discipling, and we've it's been gone for decades largely where we have much more of a a lecture listener 
style, whether it's in a Sunday school class or a Bible study or a sermon or, or whatever, and even when there's interaction among people, like in a small group or some kind of gathering, it's sharing ideas back and forth, opinions back and forth about what Scripture says. And there's, there's some real validity in that. I'm not at all downplaying that and saying there's, there's no value in doing that kind of thing. But it's a different thing to actually put on the sandals, so to speak, and go to the villages, go to the community, go to my neighbor, my next-door neighbor, minister to my cul-de-sac, minister to the people where we work, go to the, build relationships at the gym where I hang out. That there, it's a different thing to actually put it into practice than to theoretically talk about it, isn't it? Yeah, and that, I think part of it, it's just, it's our Western mindset is that we think education in itself brings wholeness. Um, that if we're just educated enough, if we just understand enough, then that will encourage right thinking and right actions. That's just not reality. Yeah, because Jesus said in verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Yeah. Well, if that's the truth, then we better have some experience, some 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 part of our work and ministry which has toughened us a little bit because we've been through, t- like in your story, the first guy said, no way, right? Right. And that it right. was down the road that somebody else said, I- I'll accept this. So it's not that when we do something, we're going to have 100% success. No. And we have to get toughened up and, and, and learn rejection, learn ridicule, learn success learn obedience. I think this is what Jesus is doing with these guys. Yeah. And I think too, for us, it is the more sufficient, uh, the, the greater the sufficiency of Christ's love in us and to us and, and coming, uh, I think to experience the fullness of, of his love for us, it sets us free. It sets us free, honestly, to experience rejection because Jesus is ultimately enough, and uh, because of the joy of this relationship that Christ brings to us, um, that He secured for us, we want we want others to know that joy. We want others to know that love. So we're willing to bear up under the rejection for the one person that's going to receive mm-hmm. Christ, or the multitude that's going to receive Christ, whatever it might be. And that's where, when we look through, again, when we look through the start of the church in Acts, we don't see wholesale acceptance of Christ. Sometimes I think we have this picture, well, the apostles went out and everybody just believed. I'm like, even at Pentecost, there was tens of thousands of people in Jerusalem for this, you know, high holy day of, of Pentecost. And, you know, what, 5,000 people believed. Even as they're experiencing the miracle of these Galileans speaking in different languages, communicating the truth of Christ in different languages, and uh, and five thousand people believed. And then we see throughout the course of Acts, oh, nobody would deny that the Apostle Paul is, is the greatest evangelist to ever walk the planet. Um, and yet, more people rejected Paul, more people wanted to kill Paul than receive Christ as Savior throughout his throughout his ministry. And yet Paul was undeterred. Why was he undeterred? Why was he willing to suffer as he did? 
He was willing to suffer for the greater joy of making Christ known to others, the greater joy of seeing uh, those who would receive Christ receive Christ. And, and yet we are oftentimes more conditioned by fear of rejection or, or whatever it might be, rather than our lives truly conditioned by the joy of God's redeeming love to us that has, that has come to us in, in Jesus Christ. That is a true statement for every follower of Jesus. In fact, it's even a true statement for Jesus himself, as you've, as you've hinted at. Next week, in fact, we're going to take a look at this one verse in John six sixty six, which says, From this time, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Even his own disciples said, no way. Ben, as we finish up episode 20, my hope and prayer is not that people are simply learning knowledge about the life of Jesus, but beginning to ask the question, what is Jesus saying and doing, and what does Jesus want to say to me? What does he want me to be doing? And applying that in life and taking the risk and putting on the sandals and going to the neighbor and going to someone fearing rejection, not having the words, all of those things which are reasons that we have for trying to privatize our religion and making the gospel something that we're called to share with others. I'm going to pray about that right now. Heavenly Father, I I ask this as we are in the midst of Holy Week and preparing for Easter, that you would remind us that you didn't simply die on the cross as an object lesson raised from the dead to just make our life happy and easy, but you have called us to go and make a difference in the lives of others. So commission us, embolden us, prepare us and send us as you will. We do not want to be educated beyond our level of obedience, but we want our obedience to match what we know about you and what you know about us. I pray this today in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. Folks, if you want to learn more about the life of Jesus and jump in deeper, we encourage you to go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, or our church app and click on the Life of Jesus link. And from there, you can find all kinds of opportunities and ways that you can explore Jesus' life more deeply. God bless you, folks. We'll talk to you next time.